Well, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to Isaiah 40, the passage that I read earlier and the song that we were just singing, obviously based on several verses here in Isaiah 40, and I want to share a message with you this morning that I've titled, How to Keep Going When the Going Gets Tough. And the sense that I'm getting right now uh, in our community and um, I guess I could say our home, our community, maybe in your homes as well, is like, you know what? I'm, I'm done with this COVID stuff. I'm ready to move on. How much longer do we have to hear about this. Every time I turn on the news or the radio, it's, uh, it's all I hear about. And I'm sick, of hear, I'm sick and tired of hearing about it. I don't want to hear about it. And uh, as I said earlier, uh, it, it really has become a test of our endurance, has it not? And so there's a very familiar uh, section here at the end of Isaiah 40, uh, uh, at least Two, the two final verses are very familiar, I'm sure, to all of you. Uh, verse 30, though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Again, a couple of verses that you may have memorized, that you may have on a painting in your house somewhere on a wall, uh, maybe something on your desk with an eagle on it, right? This is a very familiar imagery. It's probably one of our favorite um, uh, verses and, and, and images, pictures uh, in all the Word of God. But uh, we need to understand the context of these verses. These are those kinds of verses that get ripped out of their context and thrown up on a plaque or put on some desk thinking of Auburn, and uh, nobody really knows really the, the impact of, of, those, of those verses. And so let me pray, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about these verses in their context. Father, we're so grateful that we have uh, this opportunity every Sunday to regather and refocus on you and to regain perspective, which it seems like all it takes is just a few days, a week, and we've already lost perspective. And so thank you for this, uh, the wisdom of, of Sunday, of the Lord's Day, your day, where we could come and be, be, be rested um, from our work, but also reminded of, of who you are and what you've told us about yourself and your word. And so bless us now as we look into this text and pray that it would have a special relevance to each of our lives this morning. We pray for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as some of you may have heard this past Friday, world-renowned author and professor and theologian J.I. Packer passed away at the age of 93, and I'm deeply grateful to God for his influence in my life and ministry, particularly through uh, his writings, um, um, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, a tremendous book if you've not read that, uh, A Quest for Godliness, The Puritan Vision of the Christian Life, not one of his uh, more well-known works, but one that's very helpful uh, in really uh, summarizing the whole Puritan era for us, it did a great service to the church, and then of course, uh, Knowing God which is uh, the book that he is best known for. Uh, it's really a, a, a classic in our generation. And uh, if, if there's one book uh, from J.I. Packer that I would recommend, it would be that one, Knowing God. In fact, that would be, uh, that's in my list of top 10 books that you need to read as a Christian, uh, is Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And in the opening chapter of that book, Packer wrote the following and I'm quoting here, he said this, knowing about God is crucially important for the living of our lives. It's a great statement, isn't it? Knowing about God is crucially important for the living of our lives. 
We are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. And so he starts into an amazing description, really, of the character of God. And he's so right that life here on earth can be both disappointing and exhausting. Life is full of all sorts of difficulties and demands and problems and pressures and that constantly weigh on us and wear us out. I mean, the fact of the matter is we are no match in and of ourselves for the relentless trials and challenges and adversities that we all face in life. And that's one reason why we have to go to bed every night. We're frail, we're fragile, we're faint-hearted, we're finite creatures. We are but dust. And so we, we grow weary, we grow tired, we get easily overwhelmed by our circumstances, especially when there is no end in sight which seems to be the case right now with the whole uh, coronavirus pandemic. And so we become fearful, we become anxious, we, we let our problems get, get us down, we get discouraged, we get depressed, we get despondent. What Kyle talked about last week, we, we find ourselves in a place of despair that we need to be delivered from. And we, 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 we found ourselves losing heart and giving up hope and wanting to throw in the towel and just quit. We have a hard time making sense of, of the trials, the adversities that we experience. We, we, can't, we can't square our suffering with a God who claims to be wise, loving, and sovereign over all things. And so we're tempted at times to doubt that God really knows what's going on in our lives, or worse, that he even cares. And so we feel sorry for ourselves, and we think things like, well, if God really loves me, then why am I going through this? I mean, if he's really in control, then why did he let this happen? Maybe he's so busy running the universe that, that I've escaped his notice. Perhaps he, perhaps he really isn't in control after all. And this is, of course, uh, an indication that we have lost perspective, right? When we start to think wrong thoughts about God and question what he's told us about himself in his word, we, we, we lose perspective. We, we all do at times. It, it happens even to the most mature saints, and I've shared this story with you before. It's one of my favorite accounts uh, of Martin Luther and his uh, wife, Catherine von Bora. Uh, as the story goes, he was um, going through a, a, a particularly difficult period in his life and ministry. He was carrying all these burdens and fighting all these battles, and he was usually happy and smiling, and, and yet he was overwhelmed with anxiety, and he'd, be, he'd become very depressed, which Catherine graciously endured for days and even weeks, and eventually, however, she got fed up with his uncharacteristic demeanor, and one morning she came to breakfast wearing a black dress like she was on her way to a funeral. And Luther asked her who died, and she said, God. And she, Luther says, you foolish thing. Why this foolishness? And she said, well, it's true. God must have died or you would not be so sad and depressed. Well, she made her point, and her unorthodox therapy worked, and Luther immediately snapped out of his despondent state, but I'm glad to know that happened to Luther, because uh, I think like Luther, we're all guilty at times of losing perspective in the midst of life's pressures and problems and pandemics and pandemonium, really, that this has all turned into. And, and when we lose perspective, what, 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 is, what actually has happened if, is that we've lost sight of God. So let's get right down to it. Don't just say, yeah, I've, I really lost perspective. No, you just lost sight of God. And so the key to regaining a, a proper perspective when the trials and, and the circumstances of life have got us down, have, have worn us out, is refocusing on God and what we know about him. 
right there in the middle of Isaiah 40. Notice verse 9. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Or as the ESV says, I like it better. I will admit, I like it better. It says, behold your God. This is your God. Have you forgotten who your God is? In other words, get your eyes off your problems, off your difficulties, off the the circumstances, and look at God in all of his majesty, all of his power, all of his glory. Warren Wearsby has said this. Someone has defined circumstances as those nasty things you see when you get your eyes off God. If you look at God through your circumstances, he will seem very small and very far away. But if you, by faith, look at your circumstances through God, he will draw very near and reveal his greatness to you. In other words, when we truly see God's greatness, or I like to say his bigness, then our circumstances won't seem so great. No matter how big the problems are that we're facing, God is bigger. And again, it's the simple principle. If you've got a small God, you've got big problems. If you've got a big God, you've got what? Small problems. People who have a lofty view of God and, and keep him in focus at all times have a, have a confidence, they have a resilience about them and it seems like nothing gets them down. It's like they have, like they have this ability to live above the problems and the pressures of life and they seem so energetic and buoyant and they rarely talk about Uh, how tired they are, how down they are. It's like they've tapped into some perpetual power source that continually renews and replenishes their strength. Do you you know people like that? What's their secret? Well, we're gonna find out in this passage. The secret is, to powering through this pandemic that we're all experiencing. I almost thought of calling this message powering through the pandemic. Well, what's the context here? Isaiah was originally writing to the nation of Judah to condemn their sin and pronounce God's judgment on them through the coming Babylonian exile. And at the same time, uh, Isaiah was writing to console and to comfort them with a, with a message of restoration and their future salvation ultimately through the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so chapters one through 39 are really all about condemnation and the dominant theme is judgment. And then chapter 40, starting here in chapter 40 all the way through the end of the book to chapter 66, the, 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 uh, the title could be Consolation. And the dominant theme is comfort. And notice, even here uh, in the very first sentence, comfort, O oh comfort, my people, says your God. And so the passage here, uh, our passage is in the context of, of comfort. And the comfort that Isaiah wanted the people of Judah to experience was to be found primarily in the incomparable greatness of God. So verses one through 11, it's all about comforting, but notice the transition there in verse 12 all the way through verse 26, it's all about who God is and how great he is and how incomparable he is to anyone or anything else. And so through a series of rhetorical questions, Again, in verses 12 through 26, Isaiah highlights the majesty, the glory of God, which he brings to bear on the despondency of God's people. And he reassures them that that God will supply them the strength to endure the trials that were about to come upon them and sustain them during the long, hard road that lie ahead of them. In the first half of the book, Isaiah warned Judah that as punishment for their sinful rebellion against God, they would be besieged and taken into exile by the Babylonians. And now here in the second half of the book, Isaiah provided comfort and hope for those who would be in captivity for 70 years. I mean, we're going on what? 
three, three or four months here. Okay, we're talking 70 years of captivity. I know some have felt like they've been in captivity, right? Everybody's like, man, I just, I'm stir crazy. I, 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 I gotta get out of this house. I gotta, I gotta go, I'm getting cabin fever. I gotta go somewhere. I feel like a, a, I'm, I'm a, you know, a captive. See, God knew that during the Babylonian exile, the Jews would inevitably question his concern for them, his control over their situation. And so he told Isaiah to prophesy to this faithful remnant who would be physically and emotionally and spiritually exhausted and battling discouragement and despair and feeling forgotten or abandoned by God and possibly wanting to quit. And the message that God gave him was essentially, hey, get your eyes off your problems and onto the omniscient, omnipotent God of heaven and earth who knows and cares and promises to renew and replenish the physical and spiritual energy and power of all those who rely on him. And so it's no surprise that God's people for centuries have turned to this passage to find comfort, to find strength, to uplift and sustain them amid the difficult, disappointing, draining trials that God ordains for all of our lives. In fact, if you notice in verses 27 through 31, the word weary or tired is used seven times. And then the word strength and might and power are used four times. And so, Obviously, Isaiah was making a contrast here between our weakness and God's strength. And unlike us who get so quickly and easily worn out, God never gets worn out. He is inexhaustible and he offers an inexhaustible supply of energy and strength to exhausted people who wait and hope and trust in him. And this is not just the secret to spiritual renewal, this is the secret to our spiritual survival. whether you're in a pandemic or not in a pandemic. This is for life. And really the point here I think is this, frail, fragile, faint-hearted, finite people, that's you, that's me, right? Are you, are you willing to admit that? That that's a description of you? Frail, fragile, faint-hearted, finite people will not and cannot live and minister effectively without being regularly infused with God's limitless power and strength. So the question is, how do we plug into that power source so that we can power through things like a pandemic? Well, let's take a closer look at verses 27 through 31, and I don't have an outline this morning necessarily, just maybe a list of God's attributes. And that's what you find on your sermon outline sheet this morning. But let's look at verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? What is going on here? Judah was complaining that God had apparently or God apparently didn't know the difficulties that they were facing, or he wasn't doing anything to deliver them. And the language here suggests that the people of Judah had brought God down to their level. They assumed that God was just like them, that there were certain things he didn't know that escaped his notice, or that he couldn't do anything about, that he lacked the ability to come to their aid. His hands were tied And this is where we go terribly wrong when we assume that God is like us. Psalm 50, verse 21, God chided the wicked saying, you thought that I was just like you, I'll reprove you. Luther scolded the heretic Erasmus in a letter. He said, your thoughts of God are too human. 
And that's our problem. We think, our, we think of God in human terms with human limitations that, like, like us, we can only be at one place at one time, right? There's only so much we can do. We're, we're only one person. We, we only have so much time and energy. Well, guess what? None of these things apply to God. He's everywhere at the same time. He's able to do anything. He's not constrained by time or an insufficient supply of energy. Why? He's God. And that's exactly why Isaiah reminded them of what they had forgotten about God to show them how ridiculous their fear was, their anxiety was, their despondency was. Notice verse 28, I love this. Do you not know Have you not heard? In other words, you know these things. You've heard these things before. I guarantee you, I'm not gonna say anything this morning that you you don't already know. I'm not gonna share with you anything you've not already heard at some point. But there are several truths about God that we must never forget, especially in the midst of difficult circumstances, because if we do, we'll lose perspective and become discouraged and become defeated. And so what are these truths about God? Well, he goes on, well, he, go, he, 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 he really communicates or describes the character of God in these five verses. And the first characteristic is that God loves us and is faithful to keep his promises to us. Again, have you, don't you know? Don't you know that? Haven't you heard that? You, you know that, you've heard that, that God loves you and is faithful to keep his promises to you. Notice he says, why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel? It's interesting, those two terms, Jacob and Israel, very endearing terms there, intended to remind these people who are going to be in, in, in uh, exile of the covenant God made with their forefather Jacob, who had wrestled with God, but God blessed anyway, and the Jews had a, had a special place in God's heart. They were his dearly beloved people of promise. He, he had made promises to them that they would, uh, that they would always have a land and uh, that he would never leave them or forsake them. And he had every intention of fulfilling these promises that he made to their forefathers and nothing could stop him from fulfilling them. And so he's reminding them of who they are. You're you're of the the people of Jacob. You're, You're Israel, my chosen people. I love you. And I've made promises to you. And I'm gonna keep those promises. I came across an interesting quote by... John Knox, who was a Scottish reformer, he he asked this question. He says, by what means did Satan first draw mankind from obedience to God? He said, the scripture doth witness to wit by pouring into their hearts that poison that God did not love them. And that was inherent in the question, well, did God really say right, that you would die. He, 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 just, he just didn't want you to become like him. So Satan is always trying to poison our hearts and make us either forget or to doubt God's love for us. If, if God really loved me, he wouldn't have allowed this to happen or if God really loved me, he wouldn't have this or that. Well, again, we've been learning in Romans that nothing can separate us from God's love. Romans 8.35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor pandemics nor you fill in the blank, right? There are things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So guess what? We're gonna wake up tomorrow 
and we are still going to be in the middle of a pandemic. But the good news is one thing hasn't changed, and that is that God loves us. Amen? God loves you. He loves me. And he's made promises to us, and he's going to fulfill those promises. He's going to keep those promises. So God loves us and is faithful to keep his promises to us. Secondly, do you not know, have you not heard that God has always been there and will always be there? Notice he says, do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, which is Isaiah's way of saying that God isn't confined to time or to space. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so we shouldn't panic if things aren't working out according to our time frame. God operates outside of time. And he does things according to his timetable. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And so, again, have you not, do you not know, have you not heard that God has always been there and will always be there? There's a third thing that you know, that you've heard, and that is that God created and controls everything in the universe. Notice verse 28. Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? In other words, God made everything in the universe and he sovereignly reigns over it all. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. There's nothing he doesn't know about and isn't in control of. He knows all about what is going on in your body, what is going on in the heart and mind of your spouse right now, what is going on in the hormones of your teenager, what is going on in our country, what will happen to us in the future. He knows all this stuff. He doesn't just know it, he's in control of it. Ray Ortland Jr. has done an outstanding job commenting on the book of Isaiah and found his thoughts very helpful. Uh, He said this, quote, there is not a single square inch on this earth unknown to God or lying beyond the range of his presence. Anywhere life may take us, whether Babylonian exile or a lonely hotel room or an intensive care unit, God will already be there for us. We lie in his grace and power at all times, everywhere. You know that. You've heard that. God created and controls everything in the the universe. There's something else you know. There's something else you've heard. And that is God is always hard at work and never gets tired. God is always hard at work and never gets tired. Notice he says, verse 28, Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? Unlike us, right? We need nourishment. We need rest every day. We spend a third of our lives in bed, recouping our strength, and yet we still eventually wear out and die. We're all heading in that direction. Whereas God, on the other hand, he never sleeps, he never slumbers, he never wears out. Why? Because he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful. He's able to do anything. Again, Ortland says this, in any given event in your life, he's actively accomplishing 10,000 things you aren't even aware of. And he never grows tired or weary, but is forever fresh, always alert, always able. We have no idea the countless things that God is accomplishing through all that's going on in our country and around the world right now. It's mind-boggling to think of our omnipotent, omniscient God accomplishing his purposes through all this. Which brings us to the next thing we know, you know, you've heard this, that God knows everything there is to know and we don't. You know that, don't you? You've heard that, haven't you? God knows everything there is to know and we don't. Notice 
It says there in verse 28, Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. In other words, he knows everything. There is to know, and we don't. And that's why life bewilders us so often. We can't begin to comprehend what God is thinking or doing. His thoughts and ways are beyond ours. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, right there in the same neighborhood. Isaiah 55. Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I mean, there are times when we are able to trace God's mysterious hand of providence in the affairs of our lives, and it's usually after the fact. We're like, oh, wow, isn't that cool how the Lord did that? But ultimately, we will never be able to figure God out. Again, that's something we have been learning in our study of Romans. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? So Paul was quoting Isaiah 40. Again, Ortland makes this comment. He said, if our lives are not exactly the way we would like them to be, anybody relate to that? We've all got something in our lives that we wish was different, right? He says, if our lives are not exactly the way we would like them to be, we can be sure they are precisely the way God wants them to be. He knows what he's doing. We don't live by explanations, we live by promises. We don't figure God out by our brains, we submit to him by faith. That's good, isn't it? So no situation, no um, problem is too difficult or complex for God. Our biggest problems are no big deal to God. Our greatest fears are no threat to God. God wisely orchestrates each of our circumstances in such a way to expose our ineptness and our weakness so that we have no choice but to run to him to help compensate for our lack of wisdom and strength. He wants us to depend on him rather than ourselves and so he purposely puts us in situations that are beyond our ability to handle in our own wisdom and our own strength. so that he can do what we know, what we've heard, and that is God graciously grants us the power and strength we need to handle any situation he ordains for our lives. You know that. You've heard that, haven't you? God graciously grants us the power and strength we need to handle any situation he ordains for our lives. Verse 29, he gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. Interesting, he mentions Youths and young men, which is a picture of human strength at its best. Even those in their prime, the youngest and the strongest, eventually falter and fail. And so thankfully, we're not solely dependent on our strength. There's, there's a power beyond ourselves that we can tap into. And when our strength is gone, we can draw the extra strength we need from God who gladly, who generously supplies us with strength enough to replenish and rejuvenate our body, our soul, so that we can continue to endure whatever challenge or adversity he's called us to go through. Remember what Paul concluded in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, regarding that thorn in his flesh that God had given him, which he'd asked God to take away from him three times. 
And God said to me, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'll rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions and difficulties for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. In other words, he learned to embrace the thorn, whatever that was, in his life that made him weak, that he wished was different, that he wished God had delivered him from, but it was just a reminder to him of how weak he really was and how desperately he needed the strength of God. The supernatural energy that God provides us with enables us not just to survive our trials, but to thrive in the midst of them. Notice verse 31. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. This is the image that we're so familiar with. This mounting up with wings like eagles. Again, there's paintings about this. There's songs about this. But the idea here is to, that God enables us like, a, like an eagle to rise above whatever's got us down, to soar like, with, with eagle-like poise, if you will, and strength through our suffering, to, to run through adversity and to stay faithful in our walk with him despite the, the difficulties and the problems and the pressures and the demands of life. Some of you may have seen the, the recent news report that some scientists did some uh, experiments with Andean condors. Did you, did you see that news report? That these condors uh, in, that live in the Andy Mount, Andean mountains, um, they, they, they clocked one condor in particular. They said that, 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 that a condor can soar 100 miles without ever flapping his wings. Ne- never once flapping his wings. Most of their flapping is done. 1% of their flapping um, they're, they're, they're soaring 99% of the time and flapping 1% of the time. The flapping is when they're taking off. Once they're up there, they're just soaring. What a vivid, vivid imagery here of this mounting up with wings like eagles. But notice the secret here. Don't miss, don't miss the secret. It's like, hey, I want, I want, that, I want that to be my experience. I want to be able to like that, that condor that can just soar for, for miles and for hours. Well, how do I experience that? Well, notice the first sentence there in verse 31. Yet those who, what? Wait for the Lord. Those are the ones who will renew their strength or, or gain new strength. They're, they're the ones that will mount up with wings like eagles. They're the ones that will run and not get tired. They're the ones that will walk and not become weary. It's, it's those who wait for the Lord. So the question is, what does it mean to wait for the Lord? It means to trust in the Lord. It means to hope in the Lord. It means to remain faithful to the Lord. Let me read for you a definition that I wrote down of, of, of what it means to wait for the Lord. And don't try to write it down necessarily, just listen. Waiting on the Lord is a quiet, patient, confident trust in God to take care of every detail of our lives, which keeps us from worrying or complaining or taking matters into our own hands and keeps us believing in and hoping in the promises that God has made in his word to always provide for us and to protect us in the best possible way. Let me say that again. Waiting on God is a quiet, patient, confident trust in God to take care of every detail of our lives which keeps us from worrying or complaining or taking matters into our own hands and keeps us believing in and hoping in the promises that God has made in his word to always provide for us and to protect us in the best possible way. Now this is a a theme throughout the Old Testament. I'm sure you're aware of this. And... I would invite you to turn with me just quickly to a, a few places, and I don't have time to read them all to you, but just, just a few 
you're familiar with this concept of waiting on the Lord. Psalm 25, verse one, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me know your path. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait all the day. Psalm 27, verse 13. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, excuse me, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Psalm 33. Verse 18, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield for our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. Psalm 37, verse seven. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil doing, for evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. Isaiah, excuse me, Psalm 40, verse one, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. I brought, he brought me up out of the pit of destruction and out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon a rock making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and I will trust in the Lord. There's many more in Psalms but look back at Isaiah 64, Isaiah 64, verse four. For from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor, is the, nor has the eye seen a God besides you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. And then lastly, um, lamentations. Here Jeremiah was lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem. And in Lamentations chapter three, verse 24, he says, the Lord is my portion, therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits patiently for the salvation of the Lord. So again, I just commend some of those passages to you. There's many more you could turn to. You might wanna do a little study on your own of, what, of all the places, all the cross-references to waiting on the Lord because it really rounds out our understanding of what it means to wait on the Lord. It's not just sitting around and doing nothing. Like, okay, I'm waiting. Okay, God. I've been waiting now for days, months, years. No, waiting on God involves meditating on his attributes that's what we've been doing this morning, haven't we? Believing in his promises, casting our fear and anxiety on him, knowing that he cares for us, seeking him with all of our heart, longing for him like a, a deer panting for water, preferring, desiring him above anything or anyone else on earth, obeying his commands, striving to glorify and honor him in all that we say and do. That's just a a little bit of what it means to wait on the Lord. It's all that and more. Again, Ray Ortland Jr. said this, waiting is what faith does before God's power, excuse me, waiting is what faith does before God's answer shows up. God gives us great and precious promises and then he calls us to wait. And Ortland points out, he says Isaiah's point is that such bright expectancy is the mental leverage that God uses to empower us. Are you willing to wait, he asks? 
Are you willing to let God set the pace or are you such a controller that you can't live on God's terms? Does your heart prize him as worth the wait? If so, your heart will be endlessly renewed until that great day. If not, you're on your own. The good news of this passage in Isaiah 40 is that we're not on our own. That's what Isaiah is getting at. You're not on your own. But if you feel like you're on your own, it's probably because you're trying to make it on your own rather than striving according to his power that works mightily, mightily within all those who wait and trust and hope in him. Life is disappointing, life is exhausting, but that's deliberately how God designed it to be to help us realize how desperately we need him. He never intended any of us to to have to live our lives in our own strength, but he wanted us to rely on the strength that he provides us through his son, Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.13, I can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ himself said this, come to me all who are, what, remember? Weary and heavy laden and I will give you what? Rest. In other words, all of you who are out there trying to, to live life on your own and somehow earn God's favor by your own good works and it's just, it's just worn you out. Come to me in faith recognizing you don't have what it takes to live life or to be right with God in and of yourself. You need me. And it's not just that, that I have what you lack. Jesus says, I am what you lack. And like I mentioned uh, at the beginning, I think a common theme that, that I've heard and you may have heard or maybe you've even communicated is just, you know, I just, I just need to get away. We got all these plans and we're gonna go here and there and they all got canceled and I had to change this and man, I feel like I'm going crazy here. And Well, we don't find rest and renewal by taking some time off or going on vacation or spending a week at the beach. We find rest and renewal by getting alone with God and beholding his glory and majesty in his word and depending on him through prayer every moment of every day. It's okay to go on a vacation, right? It is refreshing, it is restful. But don't make that into an idol where you expect more from that than God ever intended you to expect. And we typically do. We put a lot of expectations, right, in our times away. Like, oh, it's gonna be this and it's gonna be this and we're gonna feel like this and we're gonna come back like this and it rarely turns out like that, does it? (laughs) Remember where our rest and renewal comes from. You know, you may be in a situation in your life that the pandemic is the least of your worries. That's, that's the, the least of your problems. You've got issues in your marriage, you've got issues in your finances, you've got issues with your kids, you've got issues with your business, you've got issues with your health. You may be in a difficult spot and you may You may, like the people of Israel, have a long road ahead of you. I mean, this was a long, hard road that he was getting them ready for. That you're gonna be in exile for 70 years. And there's some of you that feel that way. I've I've just got a long, hard road ahead of me. I don't know when this is ever gonna, I'm ever gonna be out of this season, whatever that season is. The pandemic may wrap up or calm down and you'll still be in whatever it is that you're having to deal with in life. 
And again, the message this morning is if you trust in yourself, you will invariably feel frustrated. You will be overwhelmed by that, whatever it is. But if you trust in him, he will take care of you. He'll sustain you. He'll provide you with the physical and spiritual strength and stamina you need to power through whatever it is that you need to power through. I love what Daniel 11.32 says. The people who know their God will be strong. You want to be strong, you want to stay strong, you got to know God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would forgive us for thinking that we're entitled to always be happy and comfortable and have an easy, trial-free life. We confess we don't like pandemics. We all know it now. We don't like them. We don't ever want to be in one again. We want this one to end as quickly as possible. But Lord, we just want to say thank you for the pandemic, for bringing trials, difficulties, problems, pressures into our lives that frustrate us, confuse us, exhaust us, and bring us to the end of ourselves because that's where we find you. So help us to learn, God, to humbly admit that we can't do life on our own. And so we would daily cry out to you through prayer. We cling to you in your word for help and hope and strength that we so desperately need. And God, I pray that whenever we lose perspective because we lose sight of you, be gracious to remind us of all that we know to be true about you so that we can with the prophet Isaiah once again say, behold our God. Thank you for the opportunity, the privilege that we've had to behold you once again this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.